are listening to the Fighting Irish Faithful podcast, a podcast that is powered by scotch and spreadsheets. Thank you, everyone, for joining me on this, the second week of Advent. Tonight, we will discuss Marcus Freeman, give him a lot more praise as we enter into the era with him at the helm. Of course, we'll do a little bit of Brian Kelly bashing because, hell, why not? And we'll look at past Notre Dame head coaches, how they have fared in their first few games, look at why Notre Dame is not in the playoffs and should they be in the playoffs, and a little bit of preview of the Fiesta Bowl, but not a whole lot. We will not blow our wad on that. We will wait until next week for that detailed preview against Notre Dame versus the Cowboys. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a drink, and let's go, Irish. Three wide receivers right. They're going to go for two. Back to throw. Walks, looks, looks, looks. Has the time. Lost the ball. The pass is bent it down. It's batted down by Turner. Dawson throws. Open receiver in the end zone. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Somehow, the Irish did it. Out of the pack. 30, 35. Goodbye, baby. At the 50, the 40, the 30, the 20, the 10. Fire, fire, rocket, touchdown, Irish. Zimikowski looking for a block. Touch to the right to the 40. Gets a block. Gets to the 45. 50. Up to the 45. 40. 30. One minute to beat. 20. 15. 10. He's down to the 5. Touchdown, Irish. What's going on, Fighting Irish Faithful? Welcome to the Fighting Irish Faithful Show. Thank you for joining me on today, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Yes, a holy day of obligation. So if you're listening to this and you didn't go to Mass... You need to get right with the Lord and go to confession. But it's Advent. You should be going to confession anyway. Really, you should go to confession as much as you possibly can because I genuinely care about your spirituality, your soul, and all of that. But enough with the preaching here. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining me. Uh, but, hey, it's I, I, look, I'm going to go on a limb and say this is a Catholic podcast because we talk about Notre Dame, and I'm a Catholic person. So, why not? Uh, Notre Dame's a Catholic university, but we primarily talk about football, and tonight uh, we'll take no exception to that. If you're new to the show, welcome. We are a friendly place where we drink scotch, and we have some numbers and data powered by spreadsheets. Thank you, Bill Gates and Microsoft Excel, for uh, making this podcast possible. So, uh, we've had a pretty whirlwind of the last couple weeks. The last two episodes have been very uncharacteristic, probably also resulting in multiple uh, new people that are joining the show. So if you're new, uh, this is going to be a little different from what you're used to hearing. We are primarily just myself. Uh, this is at faithful underscore Irish on the Twitter or on Gmail at fightingirishfaithful at gmail.com. There's also the YouTube channel, which you can just search for, Fighting Irish Faithful. I come up. iTunes, Spotify, all those places. The Fighting Irish Faithful show is where we are at. In Season 2, Episode 20, uh, you know, the last two episodes have had my brother, West Coast Irish, and at Red Snapper 9098. Um, he's doing some other good things right now. Uh, he's helping uh, some very close friends of his, 
set up some Christmas decorations and just help around the house. So um, we give a toast, and the toast is to my brother, Red Snapper 9098. You've helped the show uh, get to kind of a different level, kind of take on a different format, and just kind of keep things different, keep it interesting. So to my brother, cheers. <coughs> Uh, yes, we do drink a beverage, and tonight we're doing a Dewar's White Label. So uh, felt like we needed to do something new. Uh, we're kind of in the new era here, so it kind of makes sense that we would have a new scotch going into uh, the Marcus Freeman era. So speaking of Marcus Freeman, um, if you have not seen the introductory video of him with his players when it was first announced in the locker room, they practically tackle him, do a mosh pit. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Check my timeline, but you know, it just search on the internet, you'll find it. It's it's quite spectacular seeing the positive reception of him as the new head coach of Notre Dame football and seeing Marcus Freeman up there. Uh, it really, really sparks some energy. Someone on on Twitter was having a bad day, and I just said, Hey, it's really not that bad, and I sent him a picture of Marcus Freeman, and I hope it cheered that person up, among other people. So uh, no matter what's going on in the world right now, we do have a good man in charge of our football team. Now, his success is to be determined. He needs to coach some games as the head coach, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. So more to come on that. But in addition to that, he there was a formal press conference on Monday, with him accepting the role and just kind of just from some formalities with the media, him addressing questions from the media and whatnot. And uh, I won't go into too many details of his speech, but it uh, you can tell his responses were genuine. They were from the heart. Uh, he was humbled yet determined to and ready for the challenge. So uh, definitely speaks to what it means to be the head coach of Notre Dame. In addition to that, I really think he understands and gets Notre Dame. He gets it. You know, he's he's not an alum. He is relatively new to the Notre Dame family. Um, but as the head coach, he embraces what Notre Dame is about. Yes, there's plenty of history. Yes, we have a storied past. And, you know, we're, we're part of the conversation, it seems, every year, whether regardless of whether or not we're successful or not. Um, but especially now, the last few years that Notre Dame has been successful, he is now doing a very good job of being able to take what was built over the last decade, take it to the next level. So the first thing he's doing as the new head coach is he's on the recruiting trail. He's already visiting guys. And he's trying to take those four and five star guys who are really very football minded and then saying, look, you can come to Notre Dame also and benefit in these other ways. And I think he has a much more personable way of connecting to players. Notre Dame does recruit itself, but sometimes you need someone like him to really say, look, this is the guy. So he's out there recruiting. Uh, hopefully he has some success out there. Um, but then he will be ultimately preparing the current team because it is still 2021. We have one more game left, and that is against the Cowboys of Oklahoma State. So we will see if 
Marcus Freeman in one game, his first game, can do what Brian Kelly was never able to do at Notre Dame and so far has never been able to do in his career. And that's when a big bowl game that matters win a New Year's Six. So to Marcus Freeman, best wishes to you, sir. Uh, beat the crap out of your team now. They are yours. Um, you need to certainly drill down and demand excellence and execution because this podcast here will do the same to you and Notre Dame no matter what. And the reason for that is Notre Dame expected the exact same thing from me when I was a student there. So moving on, uh, since Brian Kelly was never able to do what Marcus Freeman now has the opportunity to do, let's just go ahead and do some more Brian Kelly bashing. The more I think of how he left, I am so confident in that, that yes, he's gone. I have zero reservations that this is the right thing. It's kind of like a bad breakup that at first you're shocked, but then you realize like, wow, I feel better. This, this, this wound has now been plucked away from me and I'm able to heal and, and move on into the right direction. And not that Brian Kelly was just this, you know, pestilence that was running all over Notre Dame football. No, you know, and I've given Kelly Pat praise in the past about modernizing the program, you know, going with turf and a jumbotron and things of that nature. Uh, but that's, that's not the standard of this podcast that we demand excellence. And quite frankly, I want a new year six. I'm on a fiesta bowl. Uh, that's what's on the horizon. Kelly's never been able to do it. So, uh, but Brian Kelly's got some problems, even still at LSU. Um, in addition to just him doing fake Southern accents and his team just looking at him with a deer in the headlights kind of approach when he meets them, uh, you know, he's got players now leaving his program. The starting quarterback of LSU, Max Johnson, has transferred out or entered the transfer transfer portal from LSU. What does that say? Well, I'll tell you what it says. This guy is looking at Kelly's record, especially at Notre Dame, and looking at all of the guys who have transferred out. There are more quarterbacks who have transferred out of Notre Dame under the helm of Brian Kelly than were that stayed in and graduated and whatnot. I can only think on one hand the number of guys who actually got saw significant playing time and who stayed. But listen to this list of guys who played significant playing time to an extent under Kelly and transferred out. Now, not all of these guys saw great amounts of time on the field, but you know they, they were part of the fold and did transfer. Dane Christ, Andrew Hendricks, Gunnar Keel, although he didn't see a single snap, but still he was a five-star recruit. Everett Golson, Malik Zaire, Brandon Wimbush, Phil Dracovic, and most recently, Brendan Clark. Now, Clark is kind of late, you know, maybe that's right around the time that Kelly leaves, and he was kind of going to be third string at best next season behind Buckner and Drew Pine, uh, to be determined if Drew Pine is going to transfer, but I really don't think he will. Um, you know, he's a guaranteed, you know, backup to Buckner most likely, um, and so we'll see what happens there, but 
these are the guys who have left Notre Dame under Kelly and sought greener pastures in other schools and other places. And Max Johnson is just the latest casualty of the Kelly quarterback transfer legacy. Uh, in my opinion, I think he's making a really, really good decision. So we'll see what happens with BK and LSU. His first uh, game is against Kansas State in their bowl game. But uh, you know what? We'll, we'll see. I, I think half of Notre Dame Nation will be watching that game very curious to see how he performs in one game now granted it's a bowl game he's been with the team but he'll have you know close to a month to prepare his new team so um who knows how much chemistry he can really you know fix or implement but hey it is what it is so um that being said though i did some show prep and went back to an episode I recorded last year. If you're new in season one, the fifth episode I ever did, I gave a lot of grief to Kelly. Now, that was, this was before 2020 season started, okay, before going undefeated and making the playoffs and going to an ACC championship game. Uh, before that season even started, I looked at the previous 10 years, and the episode is titled Dissecting Brian Kelly's previous 10 years at Notre Dame. I will link that in uh, the description of the show, but I essentially look at anything from Kelly's worst losses, his worst margins of defeat. I do a lot of comparison to him and Lou Holtz because Holtz was there for about 11 seasons, so it seemed only reasonable and fair to compare him to Kelly as he entered his 11th season at the time. Uh, anything from why Kelly wasn't getting done uh, and was very macro about it. Didn't get into, into the nitty gritty. The nitty gritty was reserved for last episode and last episode, you know, just talking about Kelly's personality, his slimy, sleazy politician persona, anything from just his lack of motivation of his players or even connection and availability to players. Uh, I, I didn't talk too much about that last season, but was very macro and looked straight at the record, the record of Brian Kelly, how he's performing in these games, why he's getting blown out and not getting blown out like in the early age, early days of his career at Notre Dame. He was getting blown out by teams in the later years, 2017 Miami, Michigan, 2019 Anything from the ACC championship game against Clemson. These are big games uh, and recent games where he goes on on the road or whatnot and he loses. And I, quite frankly, was very disappointed and unhappy with that and gave him a ton of grief. Now, I also got a little sloshed and uh, a little mouthy. Uh, at the same time so if you want a good laugh and you want to take a go down the rabbit hole a little bit onto what this show is really about it's very very stat heavy but stay with it there's some some clever stuff going on there so episode five dissecting brian kelly's previous 10 years at notre dame check it out because quite frankly notre dame's not playing this weekend and you know you'll be finishing up doing your christmas decorations uh, writing christmas cards and whatnot and you'll need uh, something to listen to to pass the time. 
So one thing I wanted to look at is a little bit more of Brian Kelly bashing, which is the biggest stain upon him other than just the way he left. And that's when push came to shove, having a decent season. When you get to the big game at the end of the year, the Cotton Bowl, the BCS Championship game, Fiesta Bowl, it doesn't matter. He never was able to close the deal. And this is very troubling and troublesome for me personally because Notre Dame hasn't won a game that matters since 1994. I will harp on this, continue to harp on this until Marcus Freeman does it or the next coach. I don't care. This is what matters. All right. I'm not interested in winning the Sun Bowl. The Music City Bowl with Malik Zaire is one of my favorite bowl games that Notre Dame has ever won. But at the end of the day, you look at big picture. Does it truly matter? And I would argue no. Now, if Notre Dame had won that bowl, then in 2015 won the Fiesta Bowl over Ohio State and Urban Meyer, then okay, we could have said that was a noticeable mark, line in the sand, where Kelly had transformed the team, done something different with Malik Zaire and heavy run offense and whatnot, and then we move into 2015 with CJ ProSize and we do all these amazing things with Deshaun Kaiser and we win the bowl game. Great, okay, that... But that's not what's happening here, okay? So I looked on average over those five games. Now, wait, you're going to say, no, 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 they were only in four. True. But I also count the 2020 ACC championship game as one of those big games, Notre Dame versus Clemson. The average margin of defeat in these five games, 2012, 2015, 2018, and two times in 2020, the average margin of defeat in all five games is over three touchdowns, 22.4 points negative. We run the ball on average less than 50%. And what did we say on this podcast? Hashtag RTDB, run the damn ball. And why do I say that? I say that because historically, over the last 10 years, the national champion will run the football 55 to 60%. Now, me personally, I'm more of a 60% plus kind of person only because three things can happen when you pass and two of them are bad. Running the football tends to be okay. Um, I believe it is more risk-averse situation, especially in a game such as football where field position and strategy and whatnot truly truly matter so Notre Dame in these defeats do not run the ball over 50 percent and that is a problem rushing yards is terrible it's less than 100 yards on average yards per carry is less than three yards per carry total yards we allow the opponent over 500 on average now ironically Alabama last year in the Rose Bowl in Texas was the least amount of yards we ever held a team in one of these games. Now, what's funny, funny in kind of a bad way, is the first time Notre Dame played Alabama in 2012 under Kelly, Alabama had 529 yards. Ouch. Uh, yeah, not, not good. 
Uh, our completion percentage is bad. We usually have more than one turnover. Uh, we get sacked a lot and tackled for loss um, on average seven times. Um, the worst was in 2020. Ian Book was uh, sacked six times with 10 tackles for loss for the team. So not good there, Bob. Not good. Um, time of possession, of course, not good. But here's the stat. Yards per point. On average, our opponent has a yards for every point of 14.3. Now, Notre Dame averages 34.4. It's absolutely terrible. The worst it ever was was 2018, 82.7 yards per point. Notre Dame versus Clemson, a loss of 30-3. Now, that is not the worst defeat Brian Kelly had it was in 2012 the BCS championship game versus Alabama I don't like bringing this up but I think it's worth noting it is a sign of what was to come with this guy losing by 28 points to Alabama you know throwing the ball only 58 percent of the time Um, you know rushing for literally 32 yards what the hell okay look we don't we don't need to keep stabbing ourselves with with needles here going through these stats but if you're lsu why the hell did you hire this man don't get me wrong i'm actually really glad because it's like good get him out of here you know now i also said that i do think this is notre dame's best opportunity to win one of these big games and Oklahoma State, you know, they're not a pushover, and we'll do more of an analysis next week on them, but I'm really surprised that Kelly left at this time. He really could have stayed, you know, kind of righted some wrongs. You know, I really think he should have left after the bowl game just to be classy, and Notre Dame still could have kept Marcus Freeman, most likely, and made him their head coach, and Kelly could have gone to LSU, but no, he's an unclassy a piece of trash who is now has a southern accent so uh kelly you know look i i don't wish harm upon you right um i'm mostly just disappointed and now that i'm a i'm a parent i can say that i'm disappointed in you um i i did not expect this from him to be so abrupt and so classless at a place that you were there for 11 full seasons and in your 12th and that's how you leave that's how you treat the people you've been around for all these years quite frankly you're a douchebag all right shame on you is classless have some maturity have some class and leave better all right the players, you can tell they're happy that Kelly's gone. You know, their, their understanding of the business. And yes, you got a bunch of money and shit. But you know what? Your reputation is forever soiled. And unless you go to LSU and you do all these great things. But honestly, you have zero track record of doing so. You've been set in your ways for many years. And I just don't see it happening. So um, go Wildcats beat tigers uh go kansas state yeah next i wanted to discuss uh now that marcus freeman's at the helm we're gonna put bk behind us but i wanted to look at the other head coaches that notre dame has had 
over the last few years and how they did in their first game. Now, Marcus Freeman is going to be in the biggest spotlight of, I think, any head coach that's taken over, certainly in recent years. Um, But let's look at this. BK, his first game in 2010 was against Purdue, which was a win by 11 points. Charlie Weiss scored the most points in recent years, beating Pitt 42 to 21 at Pittsburgh. Tyrone Willingham allowed the least amount of points for his opponent by winning 22 to 0 against Maryland. Bob Davey eked out a win 17 to 13 versus Georgia Tech. And Lou Holtz of this list, I didn't go beyond Lou Holtz. But Lou Holtz actually lost his first game that he ever coached at Notre Dame, which was a 23 to 24 defeat to Michigan, who is now in the playoffs, which really burns my ass. But quite frankly, they kind of deserve to be there. Now, if you take another step forward and say, okay, well, that's game one. What about the next four games? So in the first five games, the records go as follows. BK was two and three. Weiss was four and one. Willingham was five and oh. Bob Davey, one and four. And Holtz was also one and four in his first five games. So do we really, can we really conclude anything? I mean, let's face it. In 20, 2002, we were all high as a kite when Tyrone Willingham took the team eight and oh. It was quite remarkable, quite spectacular. And I'm, I'm very impressed. Everyone was with Charlie Weiss because we were four and one. And then we went and had the Bush push game right after that, which was one of the most amazing games I've ever seen. Grant, we lost, but BK two and three white, you know, Davey one and four and even Holtz one and four. So, and Holtz is one of my favorite coaches at Notre Dame. So, can we really conclude a whole lot from the first couple of games? No, we cannot because history and trends, they, they really do not, you know, play out. It's really by the end of year two, going into year three, you know, where you start really seeing, okay, is there really a momentum and a trend going on here? Or is he still getting his feet wet, still, still plugging along? You know, Notre Dame didn't really look great or spectacular until, 1988 Holtz's third year right so if you also look at this another way though is when did these coaches win titles well none of the past four coaches won a title at Notre Dame Uh, BK got close once um, and got boat raced by you know the maroon team Uh, but Holtz in his third year took him three years to win a title. Now, I took this analysis and went further. Ever since 2005, Mac Brown, he it took him eight years at Texas until he won a title. Urban Meyer, his first title was in 2006 at Florida. He had been there two years. Les Miles at LSU, 2007, three years before winning his first title. Nick Saban's first title at Alabama now 
was in 2009. It took him three seasons, and he had to turn a program around pretty quickly. Gene Shizik, well, granted, if anyone has Cam Newton, you'll win the title. But for argument's sake, it was two years. Jimbo Fisher, with another Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, took him four years. Urban Meyer, Ohio State, three years. Now, that first year, they went 12-0, which was 2012. But if you recall, they were still coming off of the postseason ban from the Trestle era. So that first season would have been really interesting under Urban Meyer had there not been those uh, sanctions against Ohio State. So that's a little asterisk there on the Urban Meyer one. Dabo Sweeney at Clemson took him nine years in recent years, recent, quote-unquote, he's the longest. Ogeron at LSU, four years, and that's it. Um, So, you know, three, four tends to be kind of the trend here. There's a couple guys with twos. Uh, Jim Trestle was two years, for example. It's really remarkable to see how, how quickly a new coach can give the team a shot in the arm, get a couple of good recruits, and boom, you're hitting the hitting the ground running. So uh, we'll see what Marcus Freeman does. I still am confident with the way he is making this team gel and the positivity, all the things we talked about last week with West Coast Irish. I really, really think that Marcus Freeman will win a title in under four years. So take that for what it is so to coach freeman good luck now the twitter shout out this week uh it's going to be very random uh but uh, something i do enjoy seeing is going to at johnny w boxing uh johnny thank you for uh your uh, twitter friendship but uh you tend to also be showing that like you're putting something delicious on the grill or you're smoking you know cornish game hens or a you know, pork butt or something, you're always cooking delicious food and you're also inspiring my dinner every now and then. So uh, uh, to Johnny W. Boxing, a good follow on Twitter. Uh, And also tends to, if anyone is into boxing, um, it's actually the uh, really only the form of fighting I really enjoy watching because I like there's more rules, you know, and, you know, MMA and ultimate fighting. Okay, there's it, it does have its place. But I prefer boxing and just how it's a little more strategy and it seems just, that's just my opinion. So Johnny W. Boxing, you're the Twitter shout out. Uh, thank you, sir. Shalante. All right. The real, real reason why everyone's listening to this podcast, why Notre Dame did not make the playoffs or should Notre Dame had made the playoffs. So. This can be a controversial subject, you know, that you can kind of see what is or is not going on in the playoff committee. Personally, I think there's a little bit of bias and a lot of BCS love. But what did I say last week? I said that two things needed to happen. We needed someone like Oklahoma State to lose, which did happen to Baylor. And we needed one other team at least above them to lose. Now, I was hoping... It would be Alabama that would lose and be out of the playoffs. Georgia would remain as number one. Michigan most likely is two, Cincinnati three, and then Notre Dame would slide in to be number four, and Notre Dame would make the playoffs. Now, that didn't happen because Alabama owns Georgia still to this day, 
and they got smacked in the smacked around and said no we are still in charge of the sec get to the back of the bus although they didn't get to the back of the bus they're just only on uh, ranked number three and now cincinnati is going to be playing against alabama now michigan completely exposed iowa for the uh jv high school team that they are um, they looked awful now funny story is on saturday since notre dame wasn't playing uh wife and i we went to the indianapolis art museum and they have you know christmas lights up on the trees and they have this festival called winter lights and it's really an excuse to just stand around in the cold and, and drink beer uh and look at christmas lights so um there you go but uh on our way up there, in order to avoid traffic and, and uh, avoid construction, uh, we take the freeway and then we get off downtown. Now, I didn't plan this out ahead of time and didn't really have much forth, forth, foresight and foreshadowing. And we round the corner and I see Lucas Oil Stadium and I'm like, huh, the lights are on. What's going on? Oh, shit. The Big Ten Championship game is tonight. Ah, oh, damn it. Well, we're probably going to be late. And we were a little delayed. It wasn't too bad. Uh, the game started, you know, after 8 o'clock, and it was about 5, 5.30 by the time we got there. So, you know, there were some people tailgating, and, you know, it wasn't too crazy crowded. So I think we, we got there just before the wave, but drove by the stadium. I didn't give any uh, uh, Hawaiian good luck signs, and that's the middle finger, to any – Michigan people uh, figured I would avoid that since we had the baby in the car. But uh, yeah, I made the mistake of driving by a very large stadium in downtown Indianapolis on the way to the art museum uh, on the night of a big game. So uh, I take full responsibility for my actions on that one. But anyway, Notre Dame does not make the playoffs. Um, Cincinnati won. Michigan won. Alabama won, and I predicted that this would happen. If Alabama wins, Georgia loses, they would remain in the playoffs, and they would be three or four. And look, that's what happened. Now, I'm not surprised also that the committee put Georgia as number three based on transitive property, and let's face it, college football, the TV, and all this stuff, there's money involved. So Georgia will want to, the committee does not want Georgia and Alabama to play again in the first round because they just played for an SEC championship game. That doesn't make it very interesting, quote unquote. Um, now, I think if they really wanted to make it interesting, they would throw Notre Dame in it because they have a new coach and they are 11 and one. And why not? Okay, you could have Marcus Freeman play Alabama for the first you know game now the argument should michigan be number one versus alabama now i think if alabama and georgia that game was closer then maybe they would have done that based on this quote-unquote eye test bs because michigan completely dominated iowa but i think i was weak and let's face it i don't want to see michigan as number one i i never want to even see them win but then you have to ask yourself, well, wait a second. Look at Cincinnati. Of this group, they're the only team with a perfect record. Yet still, 
they are left out. So why is Cincinnati not the number one team in the country? Well, the reason for that is their strength of schedule. If you look at Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, Cincinnati, and then Notre Dame, of these teams, they have the worst strength of schedule. Per Sagarin, it is 82nd. Now, if you expand this analysis further to all 12 teams that are playing in New Year's Sixes, Pittsburgh, Utah, Michigan State, Oklahoma State, Ole Miss, Baylor, etc., they still have the worst strength of schedule. Second worst is Pitt at 69. Notre Dame sitting at 41. So based off of that and the quality of competition and the record of their competition, they do not deserve to be better. Alabama, their strength of schedule, 7. Now they're getting bumped up a lot because Georgia was undefeated. They were 12-0 and going into that game, and now they're 12-1. and um, But let's face it, Michigan is also 12-1, and um, and Michigan and Georgia are roughly similar strength of schedules, 31-35 and respectively. But should Notre Dame have made the playoffs? So the only way I could see Notre Dame making this playoff is because Georgia lost so bad and they they appeared to be imposters that they shouldn't make it. Let's put it another way. If Notre Dame was in that situation and lost really bad at the end of the season, would they have knocked Notre Dame out? Maybe. Maybe. But let's look at what happened last year. Notre Dame was undefeated, had beaten Clemson head-to-head in the regular season. Then they go to the championship game, the ACC championship game, and lose and lose quite handily at the hands of Clemson. Yet they still made the playoffs and played Alabama. So this actually what's happening here is very similar to what happened last year. You go to your championship game, you lose, but you were already ranked really high. I think Notre Dame was second going into that game, and then you lose. And this is what happens. So what happened to Georgia falling but not falling too hard and remaining in the playoffs is just what happened to Notre Dame last year. So should Notre Dame have made the playoffs? If you base it off of historical uh, trends of the committee and then what happened to Notre Dame last year, the answer is no. Notre Dame would not make the playoffs. Now I would also argue because this show is powered by scotch and spreadsheets but the spreadsheet portion if you look at all the stats that i usually talk about most normal shows normal shows the last two episodes have not been normal but go two episodes before that and what do i talk about i talk about the most important stats in college football i break down what how every team is doing when i compare next week oklahoma state Notre Dame, I'm going to compare them side by side in all these categories. Offensive scores, defensive scores, total touchdowns, scoring defense, total defense, scoring offense, rushing touchdowns, rushing yards, etc. I will compare teams side by side and see how are you doing in these stats. And when you compare Notre Dame to the other 11 teams that are all going into their respective New Year's Six game and or playoff game, Notre Dame 
is not one of the top four teams. They're actually not even close to the top four when you compare to those other teams. So what I did is I broke down the stats. There are about 20 of them, and they go as follows. National champions on average are eighth in the country. No, they're sixth in the country in total touchdowns. Right now, Pitt, of all teams, has more touchdowns than anyone else in the country. Alabama is second. Notre Dame is 10th on this list. They have, they're ranked 26th in the country, but they're behind Baylor, Ole Miss, Utah, Michigan, Georgia, etc. So they do not belong relative to the number one most important stat, which is total touchdowns scored. Now, defensive scoring, scoring defense, the number one team is, of course, Georgia. Now, Cincinnati is very good. They're fourth. But Notre Dame, ninth, not bad. Okay. Total defense, Notre Dame ranks 30th in the country. So what I do is I add up all these scores, defensive scores, offensive scores, and you add it up. And if you were number one in everything, you'd have a really low score. You'd be an amazing team. And they probably already hand you that Dr. Pepper trophy. Uh, But I'm looking at the total score. And you want a small score to be the best. Number one is Georgia, based off of primarily their defense. Because their defensive score is not the best, but it's really good. But their offense isn't shabby either. They have a total score of 425. Next is Michigan, 474 then Cincinnati, then Alabama. Notre Dame, 833. Now, where's Oklahoma State on this? Oklahoma State is two slots above Notre Dame, 671. Now, Notre Dame's offense and defense are also not better than Oklahoma State. So if I forget transitive property, if I ignore strength of schedule, if I even, quite frankly, ignore record, and I just look at stats, how teams are performing on the field, looking at the box score. Notre Dame is not the best team and is certainly not one of the best four teams. Now, can they still win? And there's a lot more to going on than just reading stats off a spreadsheet. Sure. But it really justifies why Notre Dame is not in the playoffs. I would love them to be in the playoffs. But let's face it, they're not. But there is something Notre Dame does. And I talk about this every show. Yards per point. It is the efficiency of your offense, the efficiency of your football team at putting points on the board relative to how you move the ball. And it's a very generalized stat, but it tends to be very revealing. And good teams always have a low yards per point. National champions, on average over the last 10 years, their yards per point is 11.71. Notre Dame this season, 11.79. It's very, very good. Now, there are four teams better than Notre Dame. So if you just look at yards per point, 
Notre Dame is exactly where they're supposed to be, fifth in the country. But the teams above them are Cincinnati, Georgia, Alabama, and then surprisingly, Pittsburgh. Michigan is just under Notre Dame at 11.99. So where's Oklahoma State? 13.13. So Notre Dame does have a more efficient offense. We will break down Notre Dame and Oklahoma State next week in detail, going line by line and looking at some of these other things. But the last time Notre Dame was in a Fiesta Bowl was against Ohio State. Um, And the last time Oklahoma State was in the Fiesta Bowl was in 2012, where they beat Stanford 41-38 in an overtime thriller. And Mike Gundy beat David Shaw and Andrew Luck. So... Look, Notre Dame's in a really good spot. Uh, We should feel really good about ourselves. This is kind of that weird dead period between the beginning of bowls, but do we really care about the first couple bowls, the Las Vegas Bowl, the, you know, Bahamas Bowl or Sarsaparilla Bowl, whatever they're called, right? Do we really care about this? Not really, you know. But Christmas is coming, and, you know, right now, Notre Dame's in a good spot. They're they're looking forward to the future. They're looking forward to the opportunity to not be in the playoffs this year. Um, I mean, let's look at it another way. If Notre Dame was in the playoffs, they'd be ranked fourth. They'd be playing most likely Alabama. Do we really want to play Alabama for Marcus Freeman's first game? I'm not going to answer that. I'll let you guys answer that. Comment on the show, comment at me on Twitter at faithful underscore Irish, and you know, let me know what you think. So, this is where we're at right now, team. Feel good about this. Uh, Notre Dame did not make the playoffs. I, I'm not going to say the committee got it right, but I can't find too many arguments that justify why Notre Dame should have been the playoffs. I know no one really wants to hear that, but I'm never going to bullshit anyone here. This is the hard truth. This is the reality, and if you, hey, look, if Notre Dame had beaten Cincinnati, Cincinnati would totally be out. Notre Dame would probably be second or third in the country right now and be playing Michigan in the playoffs. So we have no one to blame but ourselves for the situation we are in now. Or we could blame Brian Kelly because he's not there anymore. So anyway, all right. Thank you, everyone, for joining me. Have a great rest of your week. Good luck with your Christmas shopping. It is coming up here. Christmas is coming. The goose is getting fat. All right. Take care, everyone. Good night. Shlante, go Irish. Beat Advent.